0: I'm so happy you stopped turning your podcast dial and landed right here. You made it just in time. I was just getting ready to tell a story. I'm Robert Peterson. Welcome to Notorious Bakersfield. Are you ready to hear a Notorious Bakersfield story? Good. You're here. I'm here. Let's get started. For this episode of Notorious Bakersfield, some of you might be old enough to remember the tragedy that happened here in the summer of 1992. The Rosedale neighborhood where this tragedy happened hasn't changed too terribly much since 1992. Besides the more mature landscaping in the yards along Palm Avenue, the homes look remarkably the same, and for the most part, the residents still maintain their properties like they did back then. Like today, this neighborhood just doesn't seem like the type of neighborhood where a tragedy of this magnitude would happen. A home invasion where three members of one family were brutally murdered by one man with a very dark and secret past. Welcome to the sixth episode of Notorious Bakersfield, Rampage in Rosedale. Ken and Cynthia Volpe were raising their two kids, Keith, age 13, and Andrea, age 9, in this upper middle-class neighborhood that runs along Palm Avenue in the Rosedale area of Bakersfield. Both had government jobs, Ken with the Bureau of Land Management, and Cynthia with the Kern County Health Department as an environmental health inspector. On July 28, 1991, while working at her job, Cynthia Volpe encountered Robert Lizelle Courtney, a landlord with derelict rental properties scattered throughout both Kern County and Los Angeles County. Robert Courtney was the epitome of a slumlord. His quick temper and fits of rage were well known to his tenants. While Cynthia inspected one of Robert Courtney's South Union rental properties, she discovered an issue with the property's sewage system and was going to issue Courtney a citation. She went to her vehicle to get a business card to give to the slumlord. Enraged that Cynthia would issue him a citation, Courtney pulled Cynthia from her car by her hair and began beating her. Cynthia was no match to the 230-pound man. He slammed her against her car. She dropped to the ground. He continued to kick her while he screamed, quote, You ruin people's lives and I'm going to ruin yours. Government employees should be treated like street whores, unquote. The assault lasted five minutes. Courtney only stopped the beating because his victim pretended to be unconscious. Her nose was broken, her jaw was dislocated, and her eyes were quickly swelling shut. Robert Courtney was arrested, but was only briefly jailed. Because his criminal record only showed minor or misdemeanor offenses, his bail was set at $7,500, an amount the slumlord had no problem raising. His personal residence on Newt Street was as neglected as his rental properties. The grass was overgrown, the pool was a swamp, and there were broken-out windows, a stark contrast to the rest of the neighborhood. According to neighbors, Courtney wasn't very friendly and rarely interacted with them. One neighbor even described him as a menace. Before moving to Bakersfield in 1988, Courtney worked as an electrician, and everything indicates that he was able to acquire his vast real estate portfolio by being frugal with his money. Two months after the attack, Cynthia sued Courtney in civil court for $3 million. According to a friend of Cynthia's, Courtney tried to settle the case, but Cynthia refused. According to this same friend, Cynthia was very afraid of her attacker. She had every reason to be fearful. She'd experienced his brutality firsthand. She said she wanted him, quote, locked up and broke, unquote. It took over a year for the criminal case to wind its way through the judicial system before it went to trial. Cynthia's parents, Edwin and Betty Reed traveled from Arizona to Bakersfield in their RV to support their daughter and family during the trial. On August 5, 1992, before Judge John Kelly, the Kern County Superior Court trial for Robert Courtney began with 10 women and two men sitting as jurors. Cynthia Volpe bravely testified at the trial. Between sobs, she recalled the vicious attack in detail, how she pretended to be unconscious, so Courtney would stop for his beating. Courtney's defense attorney argued that his client was acting in self-defense, that it was Cynthia Volpe who was the instigator and agitator. Late in the afternoon on August 14th, both the prosecution and defense rested, and the jury was given the case to deliberate. They began their deliberations for about an hour before being dismissed for the weekend. The jurors returned Monday. August 17th, and continued their deliberations throughout the day. But by late that afternoon, the jury foreman informed the judge that they were deadlocked. Did Robert Courtney's attorney's argument that Cynthia was the actual instigator and aggressor in the altercation, a beating that left her with a broken nose, her jaw was dislocated, could that claim have resonated with at least one of the jurors? It appears it may have. Judge Kelly ordered the jury back to court Tuesday morning to resume their deliberations and hopefully overcome any disagreements. The next day, Tuesday, August 18th, seemed like Bakersfield was going to experience a typical hot summer day. Temperatures were forecast to reach 108 degrees. The sun was just beginning to rise over Bakersfield. Inside the Volpe home, everything seemed typical for that early hour. Ken and Cynthia were in their bedroom. Their kids, Keith and Andrea, were each in their rooms. Cynthia's mom, Betty, was sleeping with Andrea in her bed. Cynthia's dad, Edwin, was asleep in the RV parked in the driveway. Everything seemed normal and typical and quiet, until blasts of gunfire woke everyone inside the house. An intruder had broken into the family's home through an unlocked back door. He made his way to the hallway. The first bedroom he came to was nine-year-old Andrea's. The intruder fired his weapon and struck Betty Reed. Hearing the commotion, Ken Volpe rushed out to the hallway to investigate and encountered the armed intruder. They struggled there. Ken was shot as he ran down the hallway to escape. He made it out of the house through the same door the intruder used to enter. Ken collapsed on the back patio. The intruder then went straight to the master bedroom to where Cynthia Volpe was frantically calling 911. While she was on the phone to the operator, she was also trying to crawl under the bed for refuge. The intruder stood over her and fired four rounds into her body, execution style. The intruder exited the house the same way he entered. As he passed the gravely injured Ken Volpe on the ground on the patio, he fired one more bullet into his body. Cynthia Volpe's 911 call was logged at 6.25 a.m. The first Kern County Sheriff's deputy arrived at the Volpe residence at 6.33 a.m deputies secured the scene at 6.42 a.m. Cynthia Volpe, 38, and her husband Kenneth Volpe, 39, died at the scene. Cynthia's mother, Betty Reed, 62, died at 7.45 a.m. at Mercy Hospital. Cynthia's father, Edwin Reed, and the Volpe's two children were physically unharmed. Early into the investigation, evidence pointed to the most obvious culprit, Robert Courtney. Witnesses identified his light green 1973 Lincoln Continental speeding away from the crime scene. Ultimately, investigators determined that Robert Courtney had fired 25 rounds during his attack at the Volpe family residence. When the jurors returned to the courthouse in downtown Bakersfield to begin their deliberations for the day, Judge Kelly informed them of the tragedy that had taken place earlier that morning and declared a mistrial. Bakersfield was on edge from the tragedy in Rosedale, and investigators were in a race to find the suspect. Law enforcement agencies across California were notified. Courtney's picture and car description were given to media outlets throughout the state. Nobody knew Courtney's whereabouts until about 27 hours after the triple murders. At 9:12 a.m, Thursday, August 19th, a clerk at a convenience store in Lamont a small town about 30 miles southeast of Bakersfield, called 911 to report that the accused murderer was at the gas station filling his car. Deputies were dispatched to the store. The first patrol car was easily spotted by Courtney. He shot at the deputy as he pulled out of the parking lot and onto Main Street. He headed north on Weed Patch Highway with the deputy following. Courtney was prepared for a gun battle. He had amassed a stockpile of ammunition, was armed with a Mac 10 and Uzi-like semi-automatic weapon, and two handguns. He'd fortified the inside of the trunk of his car with bundles of old newspapers and phone books to absorb bullets. He was wearing a Kevlar vest and a military-style helmet. The single sheriff's patrol car was that initiated the pursuit was quickly joined by more cars from both the Kern County Sheriff's Office and the California Highway Patrol. They pursued Courtney north towards Bakersfield. When the pursuit reached Highway 58, Courtney entered the freeway going eastbound toward Tachapi. To create a traffic jam on the freeway, Courtney tried shooting out the tires of a semi. That tactic failed. Courtney continued to exchange gunfire with pursuing police. Weaving through moderate freeway traffic, he continued to shoot through the broken-out rear window of his car. The sheriff's SWAT team was dispatched to Broome Road Overpass near Tatchby, but Courtney made a U-turn near Caliente and was heading westbound, back towards Bakersfield. The gun battle continued as the pursuit wore on. Officers were able to shoot out two of Lincoln's tires, and Courtney was forced to stop in the center median about a mile west of General Bill Road. More gunfire was exchanged as Courtney exited his vehicle to retrieve something from the trunk of his car and return to the driver's seat. The gunfire coming from the suspect's vehicle abruptly ended, and fire began to engulf it. Ammunition inside started exploding. Police carefully and methodically advanced on the killer's burning vehicle. Once they safely reached the suspect, they pulled his lifeless body away from the fire. It was later determined that the 48-year-old murderer died from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. On the Saturday after their deaths, 300 mourners filled St. Philip's the Apostle Church in Bakersfield to mourn Cynthia and Kenneth Volpe and Betty Reed. Another service was held the following Monday in Ken's hometown of Madeira for both Ken and Cynthia Volpe. A service on Tuesday was held for Betty Reed in Arizona. That series of events that unfolded over two days in August 1992, left Bakersfield reeling. But what was learned a few days later about the murderer's history was almost as shocking. In 1958, 13-year-old Robert Courtney was living in Anchorage, Alaska. He was living with his family His mother was Winona, known as Winnie to her family and friends. His father, Jesse Courtney Sr., a prominent Anchorage steel metal contractor. He had two younger siblings, a 10-year-old brother named Jesse Jr. and a 7-year-old sister named Bonnie. There were two older brothers, but they apparently weren't living at the family's home. The Courtney's lived in a modest home south of downtown Anchorage. Young Robert worked part-time, after school and on weekends, at his father's sheet metal business. Robert's behavior was increasingly becoming a problem, and Winnie was at the end of her rope with her 13-year-old son. He had been suspended from his middle school for using profanity, threatening teachers, and even pulling a switchblade on another student. In addition to all that, he was awaiting a court hearing on an accusation that he'd stolen mail. On April 2nd, 1958, Robert left his job early. When he got home, he started a fight with his younger sister, Bonnie, over a toy. Then he told his mom that he was going to quit his job. She'd reached her boiling point. Her husband, Jesse Sr., was in Seattle on business, and Winnie was left alone to deal with their delinquent son. Around 7 p.m. that evening, Winnie and Robert got into a scuffle. The 47-year-old mother grabbed a belt and threatened to whip her son. Robert wrestled the belt from his mother. Then he handed it back to her and dared her to whip him. But then, when she took him up on his dare, Robert ran to the home's basement and went directly for the twenty-two caliber Winchester rifle. Winnie screamed as her 13-year-old son chased her from the house and into the front yard, where he fired seven rounds. Winnie died in the street, in front of her family's home. Robert then focused his violence on his younger siblings. Bonnie was shot on the doorstep. Ten-year-old Jesse Jr. fled to take refuge at a neighbor's home. Jesse was shot as he reached the neighbor's front door. Unlike their mother, Jesse and Bonnie didn't die right away. Having shot his mother and brother and sister, Robert fired the rifle three more times at a passing car. The car was hit, but the occupants were uninjured. Robert then fled on foot. He stole and abandoned two separate cars and attempted to carjack a third. About 90 minutes later, Robert was captured unharmed about a mile from Anchorage High School near a drive-in restaurant. Robert's younger siblings, Bonnie and Jesse Jr., succumbed to their injuries about six hours after being admitted to the hospital. This was April 1958. Alaska wouldn't officially become a state until nine months later, January 3rd, 1959. Alaska had a law that prohibited juveniles under 16 years of age from being charged with a crime. Anchorage didn't even have a facility equipped to care for a 13-year-old inmate. Because of this territorial law and lack of resources, federal authorities were forced to take custody of Robert. Reporting from the Fairbanks Daily News, we know that Robert underwent mental evaluations. A mental health professional at the time diagnosed him as sociopathic. A clinical psychologist who examined the young killer found Courtney highly intelligent, but he stated, quote: "This boy simply seems to have no emotional involvement with people. He is crass, callous, Hedonistic, and has an ability to rationalize his behavior so that it appears warranted, reasonable, and justified. There is very little salvageable core which could be worked with therapeutically. Unquote. We don't know of any punishment, treatment, or rehabilitation he received while in custody in Alaska. And because he was a juvenile when he committed those murders, those records were and remain sealed. Kern County authorities found that Courtney had been arrested seven times from 1968 to 1985. The charges ranged from disturbing the peace to assault with a deadly weapon. They were always dismissed or reduced to a misdemeanor. He never spent more than a few days in jail. The passage of 34 years and a distance of over 3,000 miles helped hide Robert Courtney's murderous past. Six lives snuffed out. Two separate families destroyed by one evil person. Resources used for this story were the Bakersfield Californian, the Fresno Bee, the Modesto Bee, the Associated Press, the Los Angeles Times, United Press International, the McClatchy News Service, and the Fairbanks Daily News Miner. Thank you for listening to this episode of Notorious Bakersfield. I welcome feedback. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for stories you'd like me to cover on future episodes, email me at notoriousbakersfield at gmail.com. There's no space between Notorious and Bakersfield. It's all one word. Be sure to visit Notorious Bakersfield's social media pages. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you'd like to advertise your business or service on Notorious Bakersfield, you can email me at the same email address, notoriousbakersfield at gmail.com, if you'd like to become a sponsor. You can subscribe to Notorious Bakersfield on all of your favorite podcast apps. That way, you'll be notified automatically every time a new episode is released. Until then, this is Robert Peterson wishing you a pleasant rest of your week.